every mm. day I wake up and choose to be myself in any space I enter. Uh, whether I'm dressed up and fully femme, gender non-conforming, makeup, dress, heels, or I'm dressed down in yoga pants and a t-shirt with no makeup, right? I show up as myself. And something that I've had to interrogate over the last couple of years, especially in the work in the workplace, is yes, I show up as my full self all the time, but that's going to cost me opportunities. That's going to cost me not to be invited to certain boardrooms or or meetings or companies to speak at because they don't like what I'm serving. Well, guess what? If you don't like what I'm serving, you know, there's plenty of tea out there. If you don't like the tea that I'm spilling, you don't take a sip of it. Hey, everyone. It's Amy Lynn Durham, and you're listening to Create Magic at Work. Create Magic at Work is on a mission to equip senior leaders with tools they need to be a true quantum leader and actually understand what that means. Improve employee engagement, retain top talent, and transform your workplace culture to have less drama and stress. So let's start making magic. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Create Magic at Work. Oh my gosh, I am so excited for the guest that I get to share with you today. Uh, He is a gift to this world. His name is Mark Travis Rivera. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. Telling stories is at the core and is the purpose in his life right now. He is an award-winning creative, founder, lead storyteller, and consultant of The Professional Storyteller. We see so many things on LinkedIn and in the corporate consciousness right now about storytelling. So I felt really called to bring Mark onto the show to share his wisdom and his story with all of you. I met Mark through Hummingbird Humanity and a former guest on the podcast, uh, Brian McComick. He is a speaker by Hummingbird Speaks and is a member of the We Create Space Global Collective of LGBTQ plus leaders. He was raised a Jersey boy, lived in New York City in the Bay Area, and now calls Atlanta, Georgia home. He also has a book called Drafts, an imperfect collection of writing, which was published in August of 2017. And I got to be a lucky winner of that book when I got to hear Mark read a passage from it in a live event. And I was super excited about that. Mark, welcome to Create Magic at Work. Thank you so much, Amy, for that beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for the invitation to show to show up and share space with you. I always say time is the current we can't get back. So I appreciate spending time with you today. I felt immediately called to connect with you so many times and i know we we had a personal connection a couple of weeks ago where we just had such a deep and meaningful conversation so i know today we're really going to share some magic with the listeners first off tell us a little bit more about your story and what led you to become a storyteller yeah that's a great question so i always said um i won my first poetry contest in the fourth grade i think it was like third or fourth grade, I can't remember the exact year. And it was one of those dare program, creative writing, like don't do drugs, don't drink. And uh-huh. I remember the feeling I felt when a piece of paper with my words on it was submitted into a contest and then given the opportunity to be recognized by the city of Patterson where I grew up in New Jersey and getting to be at the uh, the ceremony to get the certificate. And I was like, oh my goodness, 
how is this possible? That little words that I put together on a piece of page could lead me down this path. But really what led to writing that poem for that contest was the fact that I was born premature. My mom gave birth to me at five and a half months pregnant. I weighed one pound. In 1991, medicine and technology is not what it is today. And so I had a less of a likelihood of surviving. But like my godmother and my aunt say to me, you were fighting from the moment you entered this world and you are resilient. And it was through that spirit of resiliency and a fighting spirit that I navigated my life as a disabled child with cerebral palsy. And because I have cerebral palsy, I, growing up, I couldn't play gym with, with other students. I was very limited with what I can do physically. And so oftentimes, depending on the activities at gym, I would be told to sit out and I would have to wait till the end of class to do other things. And so I would just write in my journal watching the kids play gym. And I remember being very emo. You know, this is the early 2000s. Everyone was a little emo then. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I hate that I'm crippled. I hate that I'm disabled. Why can't I be like everyone else? Mm-hmm. And then I realized it was do those pages those circumstances that I found my voice, why I thought I found my voice. And it was later on that I really solidified my work as a storyteller when I realized that the power of my words, whether written for a newspaper like the Bergen Record or the Herald News or Huffington Post or Fox News Latino or one of my speaking engagements, which you've been at a couple of my talks, you know, whether I'm doing that, you know, my words can impact people. And that's what I realized that the reason why I published drafts is because there was no book that represented a Latinx, queer, gender non-conforming, disabled experience. I just never saw myself reflected in the stories I was consuming. Mm-hmm. You can't see yourself reflected. One, you feel like you're alone. Two, you don't know what's possible mm. because there's no representation of what you can become. And three, you feel like you're suffering in silence because no one is talking about your lived experience. And now that this book and other books exist out there, future generations can't say that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for your courage. Where did you find, where do you think you found that came from? The courage to be the one to put the words out there and to be the one that's like, oh, well, this isn't going to happen again because... I did it. Yeah, you know, um, it's so funny. I'm, I'm writing the newsletter for this week. I, I also have a weekly newsletter. I, I love newsletter. your newsletter. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a newsletter that goes out every week. And this week's, I had a conversation earlier today of the, of the day of this recording, and we were talking about scarcity mindset mm-hmm. and how I grew up really poor in a single mother household, living below the poverty threshold. And I remember uh, being so embarrassed by my upbringing and growing up poor and being, you know, having housing insecurity and food insecurity. And I remember the friend colleague I was talking to, she said, well, you know, I also had a scarcity mindset, even though I grew up middle class. And she said, I had to go back in my DNA history to figure out where I come from, right? And then what I realized with that conversation with her was that before white supremacy culture and colonization, my people were wealthy in different ways on the island of Puerto Rico, right? And through colonization, the country has become a U.S. territory. And not to get too political on your show, I'm sorry, but like it has really stripped the, the island of its resources and, and have people living in poverty and dealing with natural disasters with very little support from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And when I had a conversation with her, you know, over the last year or so, 
I've been looking at where I come from, you know, the few generations before me, my mother, her mother, her mother's mother, because my great grandmother only died a few years ago, you know, uh, uh, you know, so anyways, so I realized I need to go further back. And I realized that the courage to survive my birth circumstances, the ability to survive that, to me, superseded technology. It was mm-hmm. really a spiritual intervention, mm-hmm. right? That God, the universe, the divine, whatever you want to call it, brought me into this world under these circumstances so that I would live out my calling. And so rather than seeing my disability as a detriment or, or a deteriorate to my purpose, mm-hmm. I see vehicle in which I get to live out my purpose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I became the youngest person in the United States to create an integrated dance company for disabled and non-disabled dancers at the age of 17. I would have never discovered my, my love of dance and choreography had I not been disabled. Mm. And so when you talk about how do you find that courage to be a start to put this stuff out there and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the first, but not the last. I'm going to be one of the great generational curses in my family of poverty, of, of lack of education, of mental illness and all these things. It is because I come from a strong lineage of people who've had no choice but to be strong and resilient in the face of adversity. Awareness of your life purpose is a, is a skill in spiritual intelligence and it is vital. And when you're sharing that story, what really hit me was transforming fate into destiny maybe the way you born was your fate. However, you transformed it into your destiny. Yeah. And that oh, is don't such- make me I was like, don't make me cry. <laughs> I, I just, that is just, uh, oh my gosh. That is a beautiful example of how we can all do that in our lives. I just, thank you. One thing I, I really want to hear from you about that we sort of talked about is this theme that I see all over the uh, corporate consciousness right now, or, you know, LinkedIn posts, things like that about being your authentic self at work. How can I, we want everyone to be authentic, their authentic selves. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, One of my notes here is from your, from you is, you know, be who you are anywhere. How how can we do that in the systems that we're working in? I want to hear, I really want to hear your take on that. Yeah, and um, and so, we'll go into it a little bit more, but yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I, I'm often quoted by saying that authenticity is a daily choice. Every mm. day I wake up and choose to be myself in any space I enter, uh, whether I'm dressed up and fully femme, gender non-conforming, makeup, dress, heels, or I'm dressed down in yoga pants and a t-shirt with no makeup, right? I show up as myself. And something that I've had to interrogate over the last couple of years, especially in the work in the workplace, is yes, I show up as my full self all the time, but that's going to cost me opportunities. That's going to cost me not to be invited to certain boardrooms or, or meetings or companies to speak at because they don't like what I'm serving. Well, guess what? If you don't like what I'm serving, you know, there's plenty of tea out there. If you don't like the tea that I'm spilling, they don't take a sip <laughs> of it, right? And so I also really understand that authenticity is a daily choice, right? Okay. That just because you become authentic and show yourself in, in the workplace or in other places of your professional life, it doesn't mean you're going to be accepted or embraced, right? It doesn't. I mean, we shouldn't have you know someone being attacked or discriminated against, obviously for for obvious reasons. But 
you may not always feel a sense of belonging or acceptance in the workplace. And if you don't, I hope that you have the courage to walk away from that environment and find an environment that's going to fully embrace you because you cannot do your... My first boss, um, Roseanne Santos at John Jay College, said to me, I don't know what general nonconforming means. This is back in 2015. You know, the, the, the trans lexicon language wasn't as aware, uh, as big back then. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't know what that means, but as long as you have your body parts showing, I don't care what you wear. And I was like, bet. And because she said to me, she was like, I don't believe people can do their best work if they can't be themselves. She said to me on day one of working there. If only every leader in the workplace understood that. What kind of innovation would we have? What kind of creativity would have? Would we have? What kind of productivity would we have? What kind of profitability would we have? Yeah. Because the systems that we work in are often, we want you to be your authentic self at work to harness that inner genius. However, it needs to look like all of us sitting around the table. Yeah. And so then we find ourselves waking up in the morning, deciding what mask we're going to put on for the day. Yeah. And and I'm curious because you're so courageous. You're so authentic. And, and you're like, if you don't like who I am, that's okay. You don't have to be around me. Do you feel like you have been looked over for opportunities because of that in, in oh, some I, way I, in the corporate I, space? Absolutely. I mean, I was even working in the nonprofit space recently. I had, I had left a company. I'm not going to name the company because I don't want to, you know, whatever. But yeah, there was a really crappy situation, which I, I'm not going to talk about in depth because we don't mm-hmm. have much time. But it was very obvious to me that the, the women of the organization who led the nonprofit, all white women, by the way, every single person. By, but until, until the point which I left three months after starting the role, everyone, every leader was a white person, a white woman. And this particular person who's, who uh, was my boss, I applied for a senior manager role. She said to me, we really like you, but the other candidate has more supervision experience. We're going to go with that candidate, but we will maybe be interested in being a manager level position. I said, okay. The last minute, the other candidate declined the offer. And she didn't think to tell me that until the Friday before my first day when LinkedIn emails me saying, hey, you look like a good fit for this job. I opened the email. It is the same position I applied for an interview for. I got to the final round for and do a very right over the last over the, the next three months after their experience, it was they were like, we don't think you're ready for the position. We're going to open the search again. They opened the search. That person turned it down. Then I was like, okay, this is why am I being passed over, right? And so it felt really personal. And then I started hearing things like, I'm uncomfortable with you being a people manager right now. Some of the senior leadership team are concerned about your LinkedIn post. We're concerned that you have too much of a brand and that you won't be able to elevate our brand. Right. And all these things. Right. And really, you know, and it was like, how do you not assume positive intent? You know, how dare you assume that I was discriminating against you because you are one of the few people of color in the organization, one of the few gender nonconforming people in the organization and one of the few disabled people in the organization. And I said to her, I was like, because I meet all the qualifications and the other person you're getting ready to offer the job to you self-admitted to me that they were lacking supervision experience, which is what you claimed I was lacking. And you still made the offer. And rather than when she turned it down, when the second person turned it down, rather than giving me the opportunity, you said we're going to reopen the search 
for a third time. And so what I had to recognize, Amy, and what I had to learn before that, you know, during that experience was that I don't need to stay in an environment where my authentic value is not recognized and, and, and appreciated. So I left. I went back to Humberton Humanity part-time, left a full-time job. It was the most money I was ever making full-time. And I was like, my money, money does not trump. I hate using that phrase not because of Trump, but money doesn't <laughs> trump, sorry. Money doesn't trump my dignity, my value. You know, like you have to know your worth and stand by that, even if it means you have to lose in order to win. Mm-hmm. So in thinking big picture, and thinking quantum leader from an SQ perspective, you're living this in a way that is actually going to shift systems that we work in. Because as leaders become more and more aware that everyone sitting at the table shouldn't look and dress and be exactly like them. And as they invite more and more inclusion into their space, by default, they're going to lead the way, they're going to be more profitable, they're going to be more productive. People are going to line up to work for them over maybe such as the company you left. And so for me, looking at it in a big picture view, it's like, oh, this is how we're gonna create win-wins in the working world is because people are gonna make choices to work for leaders that are wise and compassionate. Yeah. And that have done the inner work. Yep. So a lot of that really has to do with tapping into these higher intelligence sets like spiritual intelligence, like quantum leadership. I saw your um, LinkedIn audio show, The Shift. It's amazing, by the way. Thank you. And one of the things that really sparked you and I connecting was you were interviewing someone about religion in the workplace. That was the premiere episode with Yvonne Austin. Oh, okay. There you go. And so I want to hear, I know you have, if you're comfortable sharing, because I, with spiritual intelligence, it's a faith neutral system and it's a framework that we can use with leaders in the workplace that you know that I'm, everyone, on the, the listeners know I'm a spiritual intelligence coach. I'm curious about your thoughts. I want to hear your background, if you're comfortable sharing, because what I am finding, and the reason why I'm asking this, is people that really like this work and the spirituality and the quantum leader, they're finally finding acceptance in being able to practice their spirituality. They're finding a space where they're not judged or shamed. And it has been one of the most amazing things for me to witness. So I, I'd love for you to comment, share. Yeah. So I, I grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian non-denominational church. And I played Jesus in the Good Samaritan play. Um, we did uh, youth theater in the streets. Um, uh, over the summertime one, one summer. And I taught Sunday school, preschool lessons for the the little kitties and I was an, an active participant in my youth ministry and I would pray with my my fellow teens and pray for and with them and when I discovered my sexuality and came out as queer I had, was brought into a room and five adults 
some youth pastors and the pastor of the uh, the, the the children's pastor and the teen, the youth teen pastors and other people were laying their hands on me to pray. Literally laying their hands on me, physically touching me, praying that God would release the spirit of homosexuality from my being, that I would be delivered, that I would come to see Jesus and, you know, stop lusting after other men and all these other things. And I was 17, 16, 17 years old. And I remember months after that experience, and I was bawling my eyes out, right? Because it was so much shame. And it was mm. months after that experience, I kept trying to pray the gay away, reading the Bible, praying, 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 begging God to rid me of the spirit of homosexuality. And it eventually started to lead to more risky behaviors because I was suppressing who I really was. It led mm. to a lot of ideation and depression. And so I spent most of my late teens and all of my 20s really neglecting my faith. Right, I stopped going to physical churches. I still don't go to a physical church. Now I go to an online church because going to a physical church is still too traumatic for me. I have too much religious trauma, mm-hmm. and so I'm still working through that. Uh, but it has been what has been critical for me in this year of me as I enter my thir- early thirties is that despite the church inflicting violence on me, God never left me. The universe never had my, never left having my back, mm. and so. Come to find is that I wouldn't be where I am in my career if it wasn't for my faith-based upbringing and the faith that I always carried within me, even when I wasn't practicing that faith out loud. Right, and because of the faith-neutral system around spiritual intelligence, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, and which is why I invited Yvonne Austin to speak as the first guest about religion. Which, by the way, had a small live turnout because people, I think, the word religion freaks people out in the workplace. Yeah. You cannot have holistic inclusion unless people can bring their whole selves, which includes their religious beliefs and practicing of faith. And like Yvonne and I talked about, it doesn't mean that your religious beliefs give you the, the, the green light to discriminate. But what it means is that you fully acknowledge the full humanity of someone. In order to fully recognize my humanity, you have to recognize that I am both queer and a person of faith. Right? That I am both sexual and spiritual, that I am both professional and can be very early 30-year-old lingo kind of person, right? That I'm a millennial, right? That I am all those things in totality. And that, and part of not wearing a mask is not feeling like you have to perform who you are. You just mm. need to be who you are. I am allowed to be multifaceted. I am allowed to be imperfect. I am allowed to make mistakes and learn from them. I'm allowed to be sexual out loud and be proud of my sexuality. I'm allowed to be proud of my gender nonconformingness, right? I'm allowed to be proud of my successes, right? And that's why when people say, oh, you're a role model. I don't want to be your role model. Don't put me on a pedestal. I want to be a possibility model. I want to show you what is possible when you choose to live in your truth and honor the calling of your life. In order for me to honor the calling of my life, I have to recognize that there is a power greater than me that allowed me to survive the birth circumstances in which I came into this world. It was a, a power greater than me that, that allowed me to survive a near-death experience in 2012 when I almost died of alcohol poisoning in college because I was so busy trying to fit in that the mass literally suffocated me. Mm. And it was in the summer of 2012, which I talk about in my TEDx talk, Embracing Yourself, Embracing Your Potential, 
that I finally had the courage. And also this is um, the, around the time I discovered Dr. Brene Brown's work. Mm-hmm. It, was the, it was after that incident that I found the courage to remove the mask. And I am proud to say, that although it takes a lot of therapy and lots of work still, I have not put that mask back on. That, that was so well said. <laughs> Just thank you for sharing that. One of the skills in SQ in the 21 is demonstrating a commitment to spiritual growth. And often I have clients that have felt judged or shamed from a religion in their childhood. And on the assessment, they will really be on this amazing spiritual path and really have a high level of commitment to spiritual growth. And we call them precious zeros in SQ, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they'll come back a zero and just full vulnerability. I came back a zero when I took the assessment and I'm like, what the heck? I'm a spiritual intelligence executive coach. Why would I? Um, well, I got flagged in a kind and loving way on on a question. Have you discounted your entire uh, religion from your childhood or kind of like disposed of it? And the reason why it comes up is because it challenges you to go back and look with forgiveness and to go back and look at someone you admire from that time and to go back and have a converse, even have a conversation with that person. Because many of us think we are really far along the path. And then all of a sudden this comes up like, Ooh, we've shut out and then we've excluded. We're still carrying something ourselves. Right. And so when you shared I tapped into my higher power. The universe did not turn its back on me. I was like, oh my gosh, like that is such a beautiful display of spirituality and really understanding the deeper sense of meaning in life, just living it. Uh, So I wanted to, to echo that to you. The other thing that many, many leaders tend to fall into that you talked about, they tend to fall into this where they lose what they came to do and the balance starts shifting to, we talked about, we talked about this where the balance starts shifting to adoration versus impact. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I don't want to be on a pedestal. What was it? You said you don't want to be on a pedestal. You want to be, I don't want to be a role model because I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I want to be a possibility model. Thank you. I want people what's possible when they dare to live in their truth and honor the calling of their life. And I have to give Laverne Cox credit for that. She was a a keynote speaker at a conference at Rutgers University the same year I was presenting a workshop there. And she said, um, she taught me the the phrase possibility model. Uh, So I've been using it ever since because, um, and for those who don't know, Laverne Cox is an amazing uh, actress and advocate who happens to be a black trans woman. Yeah, thank you. The a possibility model. Just saying that alone and embodying that energy and that space will keep you out of slipping into that final trap of the ego, which is getting stuck in adoration rather than impact. So I, I wanted to to highlight those those things. Wow. So I think we'll we'll end on on that thought there. Thank you so much, Mark. 
I hope everyone, yeah, I hope everyone subscribes to your newsletter and connects with you. You are a gift. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Amy Lynn Durham here. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found at createmagicatwork.net, or you can just look in the show notes in the episode and they're right there for you. Come back each week and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Keep joining us for more exciting episodes where we help you transform workplace culture to leaders that create less drama and stress and have high productivity and profitability. You have the power to create a burnout-free workplace right now. You can gain access to my new course, Create a Burnout-Free Team and Workplace, where you'll receive step-by-step tutorials in creating a team and organization that thrives. Click the link in the show notes to join us. I hope we brought a little magic to your day. Sending magic to everyone and see you next time.